Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. It's your therapist's favorite podcast, a.k.a. the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman. Joined, as always, the Kelsey to my Mahomes, Chad Sowash is in the house, and we are excited to welcome Guru Sethapathy, founder and CEO of FairNow.ai. Now, with a name like Guru, that's a lot of undue pressure. Is that tough to live with a name like Guru? Matt, did you did you ask your, your parents, what did, what are you doing to me? What, I mean, all this weight on my shoulders. He was born, they said, he will run an AI company <laughs> in 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about the thing about guru is like you could put that in any context, right? I'm out on the tennis court and like they're like, what's your name? And you're like, Guru, you're like, oh shit, you better, you know, this guy must know how to play tennis. So it's kind of in any context, you kind of have that pressure. So uh, I gotta step up. I mean, I, I don't know your sexual <laughs> preference, but I would think with with the women, if your name is Guru, you better bring the know-how, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna be packing the heat anyway. Yeah, you better. Uh, yeah, you can't come with some weak shit if you're not. <laughs> you better know how to date and whole nine yards, baby. Whole uh-huh. nine yards. Yep, yep, yep. All right, Guru. So it's, yeah, as we get through this craziness, let's hear a little bit about you. I mean, we just obviously we, we just trampled all all over you, but let's hear a little bit about Guru. Do you like uh, long walks on the beach? I mean, <laughs> what makes Guru tick. That's what we want to know. Go ahead. Well, with a name like Guru, you had to guess. I started out in academia, right? So that's just, ah, there you go, right? It had that's to smart. happen. So mm. <laughs> didn't have a choice. Uh, yeah, right. It's just meant to happen. So no, been you know for the last 15, 20 years, guys. I started out in academia. I'm an economist by training, um, and but that's where I cut my teeth in this uh, space of both AI and human capital. That's kind of those are the two things I've been interested in the last fifteen years. And when I go for walks on the beach, I, I think about AI. No, I'm kidding. But but seriously, so you know, those two things are what I've been thinking about. <laughs> and, and so AI is really interesting, right? I, I don't know how long you guys have followed the topic. It's obviously really sexy again. It used to be sexy in the late '90s, early 2000s. For those in the audience who remember, who played chess or Go or oh, you know, big blue of games, mm. yeah, right there, you go. Right? Yeah. Deep Blue is what it was. Oh, yeah. Deep Blue. Deep Kasparov, right? Yes. Right? That was 97, 1997. And the headlines were like, AI is here. Beat it. Because chess was considered the ultimate human game creative. Yep. Yep. And so that was 25 years ago. And then AI went off the radar a little bit. It was other technologies. It was like e-commerce and internet and cloud, cloud. And social media and Facebooks of the world and the Ubers and you know, QR all codes. stuff. exactly and so where was ai it was it was under development all these years but it was a very different methodology and what changed was the volume of data out there right and so all of a sudden the way that deep blue functioned is very different from the way chat gpt functions those are on how we process it though right i mean processors we had all that data before we just couldn't we couldn't process it down we were doing it with cpus now we're doing it with gpus i mean those two things things changed the the, the processing exactly the compute power and the volume of data we had data back then but the volume today exponentially different right and so those things change and so ai is now back in the forefront 
And it is like really, really having an incredible impact. And the other big thing that's really was a big deal with ChatGPT, it's impressive in some really you know, cool ways. But for the first time, regular people, your aunt and uncle, your buddy down the street who doesn't know anything about tech, for the first time, they could interact with an AI system. Because again, AI has been developing the last few decades, but the average person didn't know. Now they can interact with it. And that's just changed the whole conversation. And, and we'll see how that affects regulations. And we'll talk about it in a second. But I think that just raised the awareness of people of, oh my gosh, this is a thing. It's happening. What's the implication? What's the implication for my job, for mm-hmm. me? Well, how's it going to change my work? How's it going to change my career? What should I go study? Right? Like all of these things are super fascinating conversations. That's one thing that I think is happening. The other thing is just, you know, I've always just been fascinated by human capital, human potential. Why do some people succeed, other people less so? What determines people's careers? How do they go in and out of careers, skills? How are skills changing? All of this stuff. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot is the half-life of skills, right? Like if you look back at our parents and grandparents' generation, they would kind of pick a thing and they would just kind of do that for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Maybe they would have one other career, maybe two careers over their lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Now people have four, five, six, seven different careers. And a lot of it is kind of warranted because things are changing so fast. Okay, you got to go do something, right? And so how is that going to evolve and what does that mean for people? I think the intersection of these two topics, AI and humans, is just kind of what I'm passionate about. So so what, the, the impetus of fairnow.ai, I mean, talk about that. You, you obviously saw that there this was happening. Scale was happening faster, was processing faster. I mean, it was moving faster. I, I, I even think that, uh, you know, they're talking about Moore's Law running much faster today than it was, you know, just even six to 10 months ago, for goodness sakes. So talk a little bit about that in, in being able to give us a little background of why you started fairnow.ai. I think there's a couple of trends that we saw that were happening. One is mm-hmm. I've been I've been bullish on AI for over a decade, right? And so I continue to think the technology, the sophistication, the capabilities are going to continue to improve. And the ramifications of that are pretty tremendous. It's going to be playing a huge, bigger and bigger role in making important decisions. And we make decisions all the time, right? In our jobs, whether it's people decisions, whether it's business decisions, whether it's, you know, all sorts of decisions, right? So that's one thing. And at the same time, we don't know how these systems work. That's the fundamental thing, right? Even if you go and talk to an engineer and you're like, hey, why did it do that, right? And I don't know if you've read on on ChatGPT and GPT-4, but it does some weird stuff sometimes. There was one example where a person was talking to it in English and it started responding in French. And he's like, what? what, And there's so many cases like that. It's really, for instance, it's really bad at math and logic, which for us, which for us, it doesn't make sense because we tend to think like simple math and logic, like third grade level math and logic is easier than like high school level creative writing, for instance, Right. right? Right. But it's better at that high school level creative writing than it is at third grade level math and logic. And so in our brains, that doesn't compute. Why? Why is that? Right. And so there's a bunch of stuff like that where we don't understand how it works or why it works or why it does what it does. That's a big deal. You you have to put guardrails around this stuff. Right. You still need humans in the loop. You have to put guardrails. You have to worry about things like explainability and fairness and transparency and all these things. These things really matter. And, and, and so I, I felt both of these things were going to happen. Both AI was going to be more and more important. At the same time, for this to really take off, you need to build trust in these systems because yeah. it's very easy to get scared or weirded out. And then, boom, 
the whole system can be, you know, you could just lose trust in the system and then, you know, who knows what happens at that point. So to me, really, those two things go together. The advancement of technology has to come along with trust. And, and that was the impetus for Fair Now. Well, around the how, we'll, we'll get to that here in a second, but th- th- there are so many different types uh, or classifications let's talk about around AI and it just makes everything so muddy. So you've got Confusing. Ar- yep. artificial narrow intelligence, artificial <laughs> general, artificial super. And then they even <laughs> categorize like they, they, they break those out from there. So how much of your job is actually trying to educate and help organizations and literally just human beings understand what the hell is going on out there? That is a very insightful point. I would say in the early in these early days, more than half of our job is that, Chad. Like we have yeah. a technology platform, but yeah. more than half of my job is just educating, especially, you know, we're primarily working in the HR space, talking to executives in HR and just educating them on a couple of different things. First of all, what is AI? Like literally, what is it? How do you define it? When people say AI, what do they mean? And how would you think about kind of categorizing it, right? And so we even talk about two big buckets of AI. One is predictive analytics, like any kind of model that can predict, hey, should that person get hired? Hey, should that person get promoted, right? Like those are just simple predictive analytic models. And the other one, which everyone seems to know about now is gen AI, which is generative AI, which is these systems that can talk to you and have a conversation, et cetera. Those are the two big buckets. And then within those, there's subcategories, right, that you can kind of cut into, but it's just good to know because for a lot of people, they just think AI, gen AI, they forget about the predictive models and those are really important too. Uh-huh. So that's kind of one big bucket of things that you know people should, should think about, right? Then within that, another thing we educate on is, okay, what's going on in terms of laws and regulations? That's a whole nother thing. People are like, what is even going on here? I've heard about the New York City law. What does that law say? And then what about other laws, right? And so in the U.S., we have a patchwork of different states coming together with their own laws. But then in places like Canada and the EU, it's much more top down. It's much more kind of nationally, federally led uh, laws as well. So that's bucket two. And then we talk about governance more broadly. Okay. Yeah. How, do you, how do you do it responsibly, right? How do you do this well from day one? So you still have a bunch of data scientists going around building cool models, and then you don't know how this is all going to explode a year from now. It's almost like a science lab, right? Where you put the, the science kids in the science lab, they're going to run these experiments, but like, hey, let's put some controls around this, right? We don't want to blow up the science lab. And so right. what does good governance look like? So those are the three topics that we're educating folks on. So I think we get wrapped up in classifications and the how, yeah. as you talked yeah. about, but should we be more focused specifically on the what? And, and what I mean is the outcomes and the impact on humans. What does it do to the actual human? You know, for, for these individuals who are qualified and they're getting negatively impacted, right? Because that's the signal. Right. That's really the end signal that we should care about the most. It's like the how I think we get we get really we dig deep into it. it's like, well, right. how does this predict Work and blah blah? blah. It's like, yeah, yeah, but at yeah, the yeah. end of the day, it's like who's being impacted and how are they being impacted? So talk a little bit about that because I do believe in the how. Don't get me wrong. I am a geek. I love this stuff, <laughs> but I really believe the the what happened and who's impacted is really the thing that most companies should be really feeling, I mean, really focusing on mostly. What, what do you think? I, I think that's a great point. In fact, one of the things when we, both in our product and our platform and how we educate folks, we talk mm-hmm. about risk levels, yeah. right? And the risk levels are exactly related to your point around Who's being impacted and how are they being impacted, right? Yeah. So, for instance, let me give you two examples. 
if someone is being impacted because they don't get a job or they don't get an interview, right? That is a very different risk level than I'm just chatting with a Gen AI system and it's kind of bullshitting me, right? Yeah. Like those are two different levels of impact and therefore two different levels of risk. And that requires different levels of governance. So our entire governance framework, Chad, is built on risk level, which is a direct function of the point you just made of like who's yeah. being impacted and how are they being impacted. So that is absolutely, absolutely how we derive uh, our governance logic. The other point I want to make, though, and I think this gets lost sometimes, is because there is a lot of attention around these AI systems and, oh, my God, you know, what are they doing? Are they biased? All this stuff. You know, humans are biased, too. And so one of the things I don't That's want- That's how the AI got biased in the first <laughs> right, place. Right, exactly. They didn't just, AI didn't just say, hey, we're going to be biased. Let's go ahead and bias this. I mean, humans, the human behavior in, in data is what made this whole system. And, and, and here's, I think, the big thing, Guru, and tell me what you think about this. First off, the bias, we there's already been bias inherent in the system because it's humans, right? So we take that bias, we put it into AI, and the, the big difference around AI is AI scales better than humans do, which means we can negatively or positively, okay, exactly. impact, impact, impact a lot more people in a millisecond. Yes. That's right. Yes. That's right. And that's the concern. That's the concern. But where we come from is this technology, though, if done well, mm -hmm. can scale things positively as well. And that's where we differ from some people who are like, hey, let's stop doing AI or let's kind of put a pause on, you know, we think it's going to actually have really positive implications if you're building good governance and responsible governance while you're doing it. There's a really cool study that just came out that showed uh, as a randomized control trial, so the best kind of study that you can do. And they broke up men and women and, you know, put them in different buckets. And for one audience, they said, you're going to be assessed and interviewed by humans. And for the other one, it said, you're going to be assessed and interviewed by AI. Mm -hmm. More women self-selected to go into the latter bucket. Okay. Oh, yeah. That, because they already saw the, the, the bias that was already inherent in the system. You know that. Like they know, for instance, the biases. They, you know, any woman that you talk to knows kind of how interviews work, kind of how that stuff works. And like they know that biases that are already inherent to that. They believe AI is going to be less biased. Wow. Right? If you're a company and you're not getting enough female candidates, you actually can do get more source, more female candidates by having an AI system. Now, then you need to have make sure that AI system is actually <laughs> less biased, right? And Unlike again, Amazon's. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. But there are ways of doing that, and there are yeah. ways of doing it. You know, so that, that that's not impossible. There's ways of doing that, and there, uh, there's a lot of research around this. And uh, but but I do think that's the future. Again, if you do this stuff responsibly, it's almost like it's like you know, if you have a powerful car, right? If you have a Ferrari. Mm -hmm. You can you can go crash that thing in 30 seconds or you can use that, you know, if you use it responsibly, you can get to your next place faster in a cooler way, all that kind of stuff. So it's all about how you use a really powerful technology. And that's what AI is. That's how Guru picked up chicks, Joel. We just found out. I'm going to say that's, you, you can use the name Guru with great responsibility or you can abuse it. It's really up to you. How are you going to use that kind of Ferrari? Uh, okay, touche, so, touche. Oh man, that was good. Clearly our AI overlords don't want me to be on this interview, but uh, I'm curious about the current system of auditing or what you think it's going to look like. A company looking to get an audit, where the hell do they start and where do they go? Yeah, 
where they can start, where they can go, they can come to us. That's what we do, right? And so, what one of our and why people, why do they trust? Why should they trust you or anyone else? Why should yeah? yeah. Why should they trust anybody? Does yeah. the government give you a stamp? Do you have a little badge from the Boy Scouts? His like, name's what Guru. Is it? Come on, what is it that you have? <laughs> I'm Guru with a Ferrari, right? Yeah. So that's, that's, that's how it starts. <laughs> um, a couple of things, right? So one of the key things around these laws is they are asking for an independent audit. Right, almost every single one of them. It started with New York City, and let me say one thing before I go further. The New York City law, Chad, you and I talked about this very briefly. I don't yeah. love the law. There's a bunch of things, and if you want, we can get into it. I don't. There's a bunch of things I disagree with about. If I, I would have written a law differently, but the thing it did, which I am happy about, is it raised awareness. And all all companies now are thinking, oh, oh shoot, okay, we got to slow down here. There's going to be other laws coming in. It's not just New York City. It's going to be other laws coming down the pipe. And so we just got to slow down and we got to do so it just at least raised awareness of people are thinking about this in a more thoughtful way. So I do want to give them credit for that. Okay. Now coming to they're scared shitless uh, is what's happening. But yeah, they okay, they're they aware. Are, exactly. <laughs> they are scared shitless. And so, and then the second point now to, to your question, Joel, is okay, what is an audit? You know, and so the all almost all of these laws are asking for an independent audit. So what does that mean? That means like if you're a vendor, you can't just go around and say, oh yeah, I just audited myself and like uh, everything looks fine, right? Like you have to go to a third party. Now we're in the early days of this, right? So there is no like, hey, this is like a verified vendor who does an audit and like, you know, it's not like Fairnow has been verified in that way or this other company has been verified in that way. So that doesn't exist yet. But here are a couple of things I will say, right? Like if we do audits, and if they don't work out well, that's going to negatively affect us, right? So, you know, there's an incentive and like a, a thing for us to be very, very, very careful how, how, you know, how we do this. The other thing I'll say is I've been doing this for, for decades, right? So I kind of know what an audit looks like and the, the topic of, of, of fairness and algorithms. The other thing that's happening now, this idea of market standards, and this is where I want to talk about carrot versus stick. So the laws and regulations are the stick, right? Hey, if you don't get audited by an independent third party, you got to pay a fine, blah, 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 right? Standards are these market standards that are coming out, like ISO 42001. Um, but ISO, I'm sure your audience knows, is a very, very kind of common, well-known international standard around certification of a variety of things. It could be a lot right. of things. And they're doing it now in the, in the and a lot of them is technology-oriented, and now they're doing it in the AI space. And 42001 is specifically about certifying that your AI systems are responsible. And they have a bunch of stuff. And in fact, the NIST frameworks, the National Institute of Standard Technology, uh, those frameworks are embedded in this in this standard, right? And there's going to be other standards. I'm sure SOC is going to come out with some standards. You guys have probably heard of SOC. There's mm-hmm. some the EU AI Act is going to have its own standards. So there's going to be a bunch of standards, right? And yes. these standards, Joel, to your question, those are well known. Those are well known, mm-hmm. uh, kind of almost like approved upon, agreed upon standards of saying, okay, gosh, if Joel's company has ISO 40001 certified AI, I, I know they're responsible. And so what we're doing in our product is saying, hey, we'll audit you. But at the same time, we'll embed these standards in there. And so if you pass these standards, boom, you don't have to trust us. Trust ISO 42001, right? So that's right. kind of how we're working on this as well. So we're in the we're in the early stages of this. I assume I could be Joey Bag of Donuts, throw up a website and say, I'll audit your, your AI and approve you. Whereas there are probably, it feels like the background check business to me. You got your mom and pop doing stuff. You got like your multi-global, like huge corporations doing it. Talk about the competitive landscape. How does this thing shake out? Or is there a Coke and a Pepsi? And then everyone else is like, good luck with that. Like, how does it, how does this thing shake out? I think you're right on a few fronts. The barriers to entry just for doing an audit, not that high, 
right? Again, you gotta, you gotta know a little bit about how to do it, right? You gotta understand kind of the, the laws, you have to understand EUC laws, like the existing laws. This is something Keith Sonderling talks about often. I think I remember actually listening to your podcast with Keith. Like there's already laws on the books. The EOC has employment discrimination laws around just human uh, bias and discrimination and stuff like that. And so those laws still apply, right? It's right. not like those laws have gone away. So you do want someone who has expertise in this space at the intersection of employment law, discrimination law, bias, and how do you conduct an audit? For example, the four-fifths rule. Not everyone knows about the four-fifths rule. Like, right, So there's some, some subject matter expertise here. So I don't want to say it's completely simple, but there's some subject matter expertise. So, you know, there are going to be folks who have that subject matter expertise that are going to come into this space, right? So that's part one. Part two, though, is beyond just the bias audit, there's a whole level of governance, Joel, that I believe is important. So let me give you an example. Yep. We've been chatting with customers, right? HR executives, you know, dozens and dozens. One of the first things I ask them is, hey, how many models do you have in your HR organization? Not one of them has got the right answer. Meaning they don't even know how many models they have in their own organization, right? No. And, and I happen to know it because I'd be talking to their the folks in their organization and I'd ask them, hey, how many models here? How many models here? And, and, and they didn't know. And so the first level of governance, forget bias audits, just forget that. The first thing you have to do is just know what you have. You got to know, you got to inventory. You got to know what you have. You got to yeah. know what these models are doing, why they're doing it, who has access to these models, what data they're using. That's just basic governance 101. Then as you get into more high risk models, then you do things like, okay, now we have to develop validation reports. We have to do bias audits. We have to do explainability reports. Mm -hmm. Then we have to do compliance with different laws. So we actually have a framework for different levels of governance, right? Depending on the risk level of the model. And so um, this to me, so yeah, you can do a quick bias audit. To me, a bias audit is like a bandaid. So if you go see a, if you go see someone and they're like, oh yeah, you have a scratch. Let me put a bandaid on there. Sure. There's going to be dozens of those. Doesn't make you a doctor. It doesn't make you a doctor. And I think yeah. that's what we bring to the table. And, and the, the reason we are able to do that is me and uh, some of my colleagues, we're ex-Capital One folks. The whole financial services lending space, if I can just digress for a second, um, there has been laws on the books there around uh, against discrimination and lending for decades now, yep. right? And so any bank or any institution has had to be very, very well governed around the models that they use in lending and banking and so on. And when I was at Capital One, I learned about that. And I said, wait a second, that's going to come everywhere. That's not going to be just in banking. That's going to come to HR. That's going to come to health. That's going to come to insurance. That's going to come. It's going to come to all these spaces. And these spaces don't know how to do this governance. Yeah. And so to me, that's kind of what's the different. That's going to be the differentiator between just an auditor versus someone who's going to, like you said, a doctor in this space. Yeah. We have a lot of vendors listen to our show. A lot of people that are building products, cool things that aren't necessarily thinking about bias or how it could impact or break the law. Should vendors reach out to you just as as employers do and say like, hey, you know, we've already been vetted by Fair Now. We've already been vetted by A, B, and C, top, whatever. Like, are they doing that? And should they do that? And what would it cost? Yeah, uh, we're already working with vendors. So we're actually working with both kind of enterprise customers who are using these things as well as vendors who are building these things. And if you look at the laws, New York City is focused on the end customer, right? Mm -hmm. But other laws like New Jersey, there's a law that's coming down the pipe that's focused on vendors. But if you look at most of the other laws, California, Massachusetts, the EU AI Act, right? Like Canada, all of them are focused on both sides of the market, both the end user and the company that builds the technology. So vendors should absolutely be, be concerned about this. And yes, absolutely. And we're already working with them on this. So 
Um, so yeah, they can come talk to us. We're already working with vendors. And I think one of the things there that's going to be coming down the pipe, and we're already seeing this, is their customers are asking them these questions, Joel. Yeah. Their customers are starting to come and ask them, hey, wait a second. I didn't ask you last time when I signed the <laughs> contract, but now I want to know what data are you using? What's your training data? Is there bias? Have, have you had a third party look at it? They're starting to ask those questions. And so mm-hmm. that's where we can help. Here's the thing, though, Guru, is that mm-hmm. I can have, I'm a vendor and I go through all of the, the hoops, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But the problem is, as soon as I put that in front of a biased set of data, and then a company takes over and they try to make it more customized slash bespoke, right. depending on right. what side of the pond you're on, <laughs> then that fucks the entire system up, right? So you can be as much like we've said for years, applicant tracking systems worked perfectly until <laughs> companies came in and they started customizing the hell out of, oh no, we want to do it this way, that way. And the other thing, yeah. and now everything is bottlenecked, you know, it's not happening efficiently like it should. Now, in this case, a vendor can can go through all of those hoops, but a company starts to push all this infected, let's say, data into the, the large language model. That's yeah. not the vendor's fault. Yeah. Who's responsible there? Because California wants the vendor to be responsible in some cases. And this is where like, we're at the top of the first inning check, right? Yeah. There's going to be so much that we have to like sort through and, and figure out both from like a business perspective yeah. and from a regulatory perspective. So on this point around training data, so models, so what, when I say a model, I'm actually referring to two things, an algorithm and the training data that that algorithm was trained on, right? Yeah. So sometimes the same algorithm could be five different models because every time there's a different training data, that to me, that's five different models. And four of those could be good. And the fifth one could be really biased data to your point, right? Mm -hmm. So that's point number one. Point number two is we actually have come up with a pretty cool technique where we've developed a synthetic data set, a proprietary synthetic data set that then runs A-B tests on your model. It doesn't even use that data set, right? We have to say, hey, forget about that data set. Let's let's use this, this data set and run a simulation on your model and test your model for that. And the laws actually allow for that. So the New York City law, there's actually a section there that says, hey, if you can't train on a historical training data set for a variety of reasons, you can use an alternate test data set. And so we've created that test data set. So that way a vendor can say, hey, look, I don't know what training data you have, customer A, but based on this kind of canonical test data, our mm-hmm. model is fine. And that, that's, that's a valid thing, at least from the point of view of the New York City law, et cetera, right? The other thing that the, the vendors should be aware of is how are their customers using their technology? It used to be the case that you're like, I don't care how you use it, right? Like, good luck to you. User errors on you, right? Kind of thing, right? And yeah. to your point, you're on the hook. You're on the hook. And they yeah. still are on the hook, but yeah. where it starts to affect a vendor is now reputation, right? So now, if for instance, five different customers of theirs mm-hmm. have been sued or audited, right. and they're all using this techno- their vendor technology, again, they're probably not on the hook, Chad, but it starts to look bad. So I don't know if you saw this Workday lawsuit. Now, I don't know, yeah. uh, yes. you know, kind of a, there, there's some debate there around whether that was a real legit lawsuit or if that was kind of contrived, but, you know, uh, we can debate that. But the point being, it still looks bad on Workday, right? Yeah. And so Workday now has an incentive to make sure their customers are using their technology in the right way. And that's another way, again, where we can help, where we can say, hey, if we're auditing a vendor, we can also say, hey, who are your customers? Let's go audit them. And so now you can make, and we can give them a score. And so the vendor can know, hey, how are each of their customers doing? And if they, if they see one of their customers is scoring a D, for instance, mm-hmm. all right, they're probably not using it correctly. Let's go talk to them. 
So that's where those are kinds of things we want to solve. Gotcha. I want I want to switch real quick to the top down versus bottom up. You know, states versus yeah, federal. Yeah, and yeah. so what we did see, going back to your example, we did see financial institutions. Uh, the government relaxed on lending laws, and we broke the entire globe. <laughs> the United States screwed the entire world because everything was relaxed from the feds going down, right? We don't have really anything in place federally. The EU's putting things in place. Mm-hmm. So how much risk do we have in breaking the entire damn world again if we don't put guardrails in place federally? I know the states are pushing and I appreciate that, but does it really matter unless we do a federal mandate from the top down? Yeah, really interesting. Uh, and really interesting analogy that you're comparing it to kind of the financial system that, yeah. you know, that, that and what happened in the late 2000s. A couple of things. One is just, I just want to put this out there. We're just much more of a kind of states' right type of place in America, right? And this isn't to get into politics or anything like that, but that's just how yeah. we were founded, right? I'm just going back to our founding and how we got started. We were a bunch of states. And that was over 200 our- years ago. Uh, <laughs> this is America, Jack. That was over 200 years ago. I Back in the horse and buggy days. We uh, Continue. Continue. No, no, but my point is that's you, in our you DNA. said no politics, Chad. I know where you're going with all this. <laughs> no, that was that was just a historical reference. It had nothing to do with politics, Joel. Uh-huh. I know, we, I know you meant. <laughs> Guru, and, and go so save us. It's just in our DNA, right? Our DNA is just very different from that standpoint from Europe and in and, and other places. And so, uh-huh. I, I don't, I do think we're going to have uh, states coming out with their own laws, right? And they're going to say we want to regulate. Now, I, in some sense, that's good. I, the thing I like about that kind of stuff is experimentation. Hey, let California try what they want to try. Let New York try. Let Illinois try. Let's see what what's working well. Like the whole idea of states is a laboratory for trying to see what's working and what's not. Right. So that part is good. The part that sucks kind of is like if you're a, a national company, your head is going to explode with 20 different laws across you know so many different states and you're like oh my god that your head is literally going to explode right well, this just and makes that, business good for you guru because now it is well, so goddamn yeah. complex nobody can keep up with it dude if there was a blanket law it'd make it a little bit easier he's gonna right, add on right. that garage for a few more ferraris <laughs> maserati i mean just yeah. continue yeah, yeah. aston martin so so uh so so that is i think going to be the plus and the minus of how the, the u.s is going to flip. Now, the thing that is interesting here, you're already starting to see some uh, federal guidelines. Now, they're not specific laws, right? But the NIST, which is, again, uh, an organization that we are uh, members of and like we are working with and partnering with, National Institute of Standards and Technology, they've come out with the NIST AI risk management framework, right? And that framework is going to, is, is supposed to be something that states can borrow from, that companies can borrow from, and that they can start using it, it, it building into standards and into governance practices. So again, I, I don't think it's going to be an all or nothing. Hey, is it only states doing stuff or is it only federal doing stuff? I do think in this case, Chad, you're going to see both. You've, you've already seen the White House put out a blueprint. Uh, the Congress is already talking about guidelines and guardrails. And so I do think you're going to see kind of high level guardrails at the federal level. And I do think you're going to have specific laws at the kind of the state level. I, I do think that's going to how it's going to pr- proceed in the U.S. 
So let me th- let me throw in another curveball at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the globe, every country and municipality, and they're going to have their own laws as well. You know that, that company with that satellite office in Belgium is thinking, "What the hell? How are we going to cover our ass on this one?" What advice would you give them? And does your company cover a global footprint? Uh, is there an association in the offing that will sort of keep track of all this stuff? Is lobbying in the future? One of the things we're seeing, kind of in the early days, is companies just turning off. There, some of their AI systems. Yes. One thing I've seen as it, as it gets complicated, they're like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to turn off my hiring and my AI in New York City or in, in California or, or whatever. Now, look, that's not a sustainable answer, right? Like, that's not how you build a business. That's not how you continue to do things over time. But that's kind of been a quick reaction from some companies. And so that's kind of part one of my answer to you. Part two is yes, we help, right? That, in fact, that's our kind of a big part of our value prop is like, there's going to be 50 different laws, you're going to have 50 different models. That's 2,500 different combinations. We're, we're going to keep track of that for you, right? So that is kind of part of our value prop, Joel, because otherwise, like I said before, your head's just going to explode. Yeah. Um, and 100% is going to be lobbying. I mean, when is there not lobbying when it comes to any law, right? So there's going to be huge amounts of lobbying. <laughs> In fact, you're already and, – and I think a lot of lobbying is actually going to come from the big players, yeah. right? Like I think it's the Googles and the Microsofts of the world mm. that are heavily involved in shaping some of these things. In fact, if you look at um, – Chuck Schumer, I think, is, is convening a meeting. On, on responsible AI. And if you look at the names on that list of people that are in the room, it is like, it is a who's who of the people that we've all heard of these names, right? Like mm-hmm. they are the CEOs of Microsoft and Google and, uh, you know, all these like really big technology companies, right? So I, there's absolutely going to be lobbying. There's absolutely going to be reshaping of this. And in fact, you know, that's part of where it comes back to this carrot and the stick idea, right? There's going to be laws on the books, but at the same time, there's going to be some amount of like, not self-regulation, but market regulation. And so the analogy I'm going to give you is SOC 2 compliance. And I think, Joel, you were shaking your head. You didn't know that one before. But, Chad, I think you might. Yeah. SOC 2 is Thanks for thing. throwing me under the bus, Guru. I appreciate it. <laughs> I just was making sure. If you were like, no, no, I know this stuff, I would have just skipped on. Right? I would have just skipped on. everybody knows Joel's just the pretty face on this podcast, okay? So it's okay. <laughs> In, in five seconds, Joel, you're going to know as much as I was I just want. doing sit-ups is why my head <laughs> is nodding. <laughs> doing some crunches. <laughs> but the SOC 2 compliance is basically a way, a standard for making sure that you are handling your customer's data. Your customer's data, their documents, their po- you know, all of your information. It's called InfoSec compliance, right? That is not a regulation. SOC 2 is not a regulation, but it is now so prevalent. Because any time you are a vendor, you want to sell a product to someone, a SaaS product, they will, in their recruit, procurement process, they will ask you, are you soft to come? It just kind of covers your ass, right? And so my expectation is that will become a thing. That will become, a, there'll be standards out there that you will have to follow. Again, it could be ISO 42001. Maybe it's a SOC 10 compliance. There's going to be something. And that is something that all companies will just have to follow. And that's going to simplify things, right? That'll simplify the things from like, oh my God, 30 laws in 30 states to, hey, if I follow the standard, that should cover me 90% of what I need to. And so that, I think that's also what's something you're going to see in the future. And that's also something yep. we help, help with. Get ready, kids. They're going to be on RFPs all over the place when yes. that happens. Uh, Guru, I, I, I want your commitment, my friend. This is just the, the start of this conversation. We need to have you back to continue this discussion because it is constantly changing from state to state, country to country, the, the GP you to Google Gemini. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, it's all over the place. And, and both sides are just, uh, both parts of the equation are changing so rapidly. What I mean yes. by both sides of the equation is the technology 
is evolving at such a fast pace. And so if you ever even yes. want to come back, have me come back and just talk about the technology, oh, yeah. what it's doing and what is it capable of and what it's not capable of. I go into that too. Like what are some of the things that sucks at, right? We can even nerd out on that a little bit. Uh, so, but that side of things, the technology and how fast it's changing and where it's headed, that's one piece. And then the laws and the standards and that stuff is also changing very Because they go oh, sorry, hand in hand, kids. They go hand in hand. Guru, if somebody wants to find out more about fairnow.ai and or they, they want to connect with Guru, because who the hell doesn't want to connect with a guru, for goodness sakes, <laughs> where would you send them? Thank you. Uh, yeah. So our website is the, is, the, is the first and best place, www.fairnow.ai. And you can learn a lot more about our company and what we do there. You can reach out to us there uh, on the website directly or email me. Happy to chat. I mean, like you said, the very first question you asked, Chad, I think was, we're educating people on this stuff too, right? It's not just our technology. We're educating people, helping them think through the complexities here and how they can get started down this journey. Um, So you can email me at guru at fairnow.ai. Love guru, AI guru, or just plain guru. Chad, (laughs) another one is in the can. We out. We out. Wow. Look at you. You made it through an entire episode of the Chat and Chase podcast. Or maybe you cheated and fast-forwarded to the end. Either way, there's no doubt you wish you had that time back. Valuable time you could have used to buy a nutritious meal at Taco Bell, enjoy a pour of your favorite whiskey, or just watch big booty Latinas and bug fights on TikTok. No, you hung out with these two chuckleheads instead. Now go take a shower and wash off all the guilt. But save some soap, because you'll be back. Like an awful train wreck, you can't look away. And like Chad's favorite western, you can't quit them either. We out.